I want to do something I don't normally get a chance to do. I want to follow up a sermon I preached recently, and I would like to expand a little bit on what we talked about on Friday night. So if you could turn with me to the book of Galatians and chapter number six, Galatians chapter number six. You know, one of the things that I'm discovering more and more as I am studying the Word of God is uh, just about every sermon is incomplete. Um, and by that I mean the only thing that is complete is what God inspired and uh, the, uh, the verses of Scripture. They're certainly profitable for us, but to get a holistic picture of what God is talking about, um, you've got to be able to get the whole picture. And on Friday night, I spent a lot of time, an hour and six minutes to be exact, uh, preaching on walking in the Spirit. And uh, just by way of a little bit of uh, recap, uh, we talked about the fact that walking in the Spirit is the only pathway to fulfilling God's intentions for our lives. God's intention for us is not just for us to dot every I and cross every T. God's intention for us is to, by love, to serve one another. It is the slavery of love that sets us free from self, and yet you and I, in our own strength, are completely incapable of loving other people as God intends. Or at the very least, we're not good at faking it. I shared uh, transparently on Friday night, I can't fake loving people, and you probably can't either. And that's why I and each one of you need the enabling power of the Holy Spirit of God, not only to overcome our flesh, but to enable us uh, to truly fulfill what God wants out of our lives. We talked about, and again, it's been kind of the talk of campus, uh, my illustration about what happens when you don't walk in the Spirit and how the pressure builds and builds and then it blows, right? Um, and uh, that is what I believe the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, is talking about. It's what inevitably will happen when you are not listening to the Holy Spirit, when you are not yielding to the Holy Spirit step by step, moment by moment in your life, and when you're not depending on the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what you could never do in your own strength. And um, I, I spend quite a bit of time trying to talk about the fact that when the Holy Spirit is in control, when you're listening, when you're yielding, and when you are depending... The Holy Spirit is the one who bears the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He's the one who bears the fruit of love. It's not you trying to love. It's not you trying to do what's loving. It's God's love. Furthermore, it's not me pasting a smile on my face. It's the genuine joy of knowing I'm in the center of God's will and God is doing in and through my life and even in all the circumstances surrounding my life, what is good and what is best. It's peace, that sense of being at ease, that sense of wholeness, that, that opposite feeling of insecurity, knowing that I am right where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and the rest of the list could go on from gentleness uh, this goodness towards other people, to meekness, this willingness to be, uh, to be changed by someone else, to be redirected by the Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit mess up my day and my life. And again, I could go through the rest of those. There's generosity and, and so on and so forth. But you know, honestly, as we come out of Friday night, I know the Lord used it in many lives, and I know the Lord's been using this study in my life as well. A question that I found has come up in my mind, okay, loving others, as led by the Holy Spirit, as enabled by the Holy Spirit, that's good, 
But what does it look like? Right? What does it look like? Because we're, we're pretty con concrete people. We like uh, tactile images. We like to be able to visualize what walking in the Spirit would look like. And I'm just going to say this. If you start plowing into chapter 6 and verse 1 and following, and if all you view these verses as being are commands for you just to buck up and do, you're still living under the law works approach. Okay? Um, these are commandments which I believe will be accomplished when we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, when we are listening moment by moment, step by step in every day, and when we are yielding, I believe, chapter 6 and verse 1, particularly down through verse 6, are what is going to happen in our lives. Now, granted, that does not mean that these commands are automatic. These are commands that do need to be obeyed, but they must be obeyed in conjunction with a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And so what I'm going to do here is, as we, uh, as we dive into this text here, again, I'm, I'm not putting all the trappings into a sermon that I would normally put into, but I really want to examine for just a little bit of time here this morning what Spirit-led love actually looks like. And so let's go ahead and uh, we'll open with a word of prayer and then we'll read the text. We'll dive in here today. Lord Jesus, and Spirit of God, we yield ourselves to you. I know that I, over these last few days, have not perfectly listened. I'm not perfectly yielded. And I want to thank you that you are as gracious and merciful as you call on us to be. Spirit of God, I present myself to you now and I ask that you would, uh, you would lead me. I want to keep in step with you. I want to, every step of this sermon, be um, in tune with what you want to be said and what you want to be explained. Would you help me to give the, not only the gist of this passage, but help me present it in such a way that it will be helpful for every student and every faculty member moving forward. All of us here in this room, we want what you want. We want to be surrendered to you. We want for your purposes and intentions to be fulfilled in our lives. So I just pray that you guide my tongue, that you would anoint me. I take your anointing now, and would you use me to be able to communicate effectively in a way that's not just word, but it's in power and a demonstration of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So with that being said, I want us to look at chapter 6 and verse 1 here. Uh, here the, ver uh, the passage says, Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Now let me just stop right there and let me say this. As I came into this passage, I was really asking myself the question, is this a brand new section that's entirely disconnected from what was happening previously in the book of Galatians? Uh, the book of Galatians is about two paths, two roads. One road is the path of law works. That's me just doing what I think is expected, getting it done, earning my own righteousness or seeking my own favor with God. Paul throughout the book has made it very clear that's not how this works. And I won't go into the all the argumentation that's involved with that. But there is another path that was promised by God to Abraham. The promise was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us to enable us to fulfill God's expectations in our lives. And yet how God expects us to fulfill his expectation is not by you and I checking off some boxes. It is by us yielding to his spirit, 
for the goal of loving one another. And so with that being said, when we get into chapter 6 and verse 1, he begins to paint several pictures of what this might mean for you as individual believers in the context of a body. And he says, if you who are spiritual... What does he mean by that? Well, I believe, based on what we've looked at, both on Friday night and even what I've endeavored to explain here, when he's saying spiritual, he's not saying you're a guy who's got it all together. He's not saying that you're holier than thou or some other person. He's not saying that you're a person who's just um, the most pious person in the room. I believe what he's simply saying is you who are walking in the Spirit, you who are listening, you who are yielding, you who are depending, as you're in that walk with God down the road of life, step by step, walking in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is you are going to see brethren who need to be restored. You're going to see brethren who are overtaken in a fault. These are people who, for one reason or another, have tripped, they have fallen, they've stumbled. Now again, the stumbling could be something that's not terribly significant, it's not the end of the road, or it could be a very significant issue that's happened in this person's life. But regardless, I want you to understand that a spirit-led person, a person who is being filled with the love of God, is someone who does not pass by on the other side of the road. You know, it's so easy to see other people in life who are struggling. And it's so easy just to think, that's their problem, right? But is that really what love does? Does love ignore brethren who are struggling? You see, the point is that love is, uh, is the quality of God that takes interest in the needs of others. It actually prioritizes the need of others over and above one's own needs. And so here, what we're finding here in this verse is that if you who are walking in the Spirit, what does walking in the Spirit look like? Very simply, walking in the Spirit looks like a believer who's walking with God is someone who restores his brethren. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think in your dormitory. I want you to think in your family. I want you to think of individuals who maybe you might have noticed are struggling. How can you help restore them? Well, I'll tell you what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't just walk up to them and tear them up one side and down the other. You shouldn't necessarily just walk up to them and shred them and rip their faces off. Though there are certainly times for confrontation, and I believe that this verse here is telling us that there is a time for confrontation. But one of the things that God's been teaching me over the years is that confrontation must, it must be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, um, when discernment is combined with the flesh, what you will have is you will have a critical spirit. That's something Dr. Jim has said many times over the years. And I kind of understood that. And kind of the way I thought of that when I was younger is if I'm itching to shred somebody about something, 
that's not God. <laughs> if I, in my mind, am thinking, oh, I'll show them, I'll, I know what I can do, and I'm just ready to get up and preach that sermon because of that one application. And normally it's that one application that gets me in trouble. <laughs> but see, a spirit-led, spirit-filled person who's bearing the fruit of the spirit, he's not going to shred somebody. He's not going to ignore somebody but he's going to be sensitive to how God would have him interact in that person's life. Let me tell you, restoring brethren sometimes gets messy. Restoring a brother sometimes costs you something. Restoring a brother sometimes costs you time. Sometimes it might cost you a grade. And again, I think I may have talked about this at some point in the last couple of weeks. But you know, if you're not willing to sacrifice a letter grade for a struggling brother, you're not walking in the Spirit. If you're not willing to let go of something you've been looking forward to for days, maybe even weeks, when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and says to you, that person needs you right now. You're not walking in the Spirit because the, the illustration of a Spirit-filled love is an illustration of somebody who is restoring a brother. A brother. Uh, but I want you to notice in the next verse here, he says, and this, is, uh, this serves a couple of purposes, he says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, there's a couple things that I can point out about this verse. I do think that this is, uh, you could say it's a, a precept that underscores what he just said. But I do think in another sense, it also expands what he just said to a wider audience than just struggling brethren, brethren who are struggling with sin. In other words, I think what he's saying here is, okay, here's what someone who's, who's bearing the fruit of love in their lives, here's what they do. If they see someone struggling with sin as the Spirit leads them, they come, they come along side of that person. They help that person. But also on the other side of things, it's not just about someone struggling with sin. It's about people struggling with burdens. Did you know that not every person that's discouraged is discouraged because they're in sin? Sometimes there are folks who are discouraged because they've got a lot <laughs> weighing on them. Listen, you don't always know what's going on at somebody's home, back home. You don't always know that somebody's grandfather might be struggling on the verge of death. You don't always know who has a major financial burden on their shoulders right now, and it's killing them. You don't always know what's going on. Listen, sometimes you look at administration, and sometimes you can see some of us, frankly, We've got a lot that we're managing. We've got a lot of situations that we're dealing with. And to be perfectly honest with you, sometimes it weighs heavily on you. I can't imagine what Pastor Swanson has to bear on his shoulders almost every day of his job here at Baptist College of Ministry. And the fact of the matter is, there are some times, whether we're working with people or they're just the hard, difficult realities of being in third semester Greek, <clears throat> there are sometimes burdens that are quite heavy. And it's interesting, the word for burden here is the idea of something that's oppressive. It's something that is just so heavy, it's impossible for you to bear alone. And I just want you to think about this. Did it ever occur to you that that particular student who's really wrestling with their academics right now could be wrestling because somebody isn't coming alongside and helping them? Could it be that God might want you? Again, um, 
yesterday, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm not going to mention their names, but yesterday I was coming out of the HC at some point, I don't even remember when it was, and I saw a couple of my Greek students sitting down in the lobby, and there was one who was doing quite well in the class, another one who, you know, maybe has a little bit of room to grow, like pretty much everybody in the class. <laughs> but I could tell there was some burden bearing, bearing happening right there in the lobby of the HC. You know, to be honest with you, the student who is excelling, uh, this student could easily have said, you know what, I want a 99 instead of a 98, right? And they could have focused on their own things. And they could have focused on <clears throat> um, just perfecting and, and further improving and refining. But I think we all understand here that we don't learn for us. BCM is not about you. It's about others. And you need to learn how to exemplify that in your academic education. And you need to learn that this, maybe you're doing well in your class. Maybe you're near, perhaps, perhaps the top of the class, but that doesn't mean you ought to sit back on your laurels and enjoy the ride. That might just well mean that you may need to listen to the Holy Spirit as he leads you to use the gifts that God has given you to help bear someone else's burden. I remember when I was an undergrad, um, there was a point in time when I was the kind of person that would just study, 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 study. I personally loved Greek. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. In first-year Greek, I wouldn't just do the assigned translations. I would pick other translations. Not only would I pick other translations, I would, uh, at other times, I would try to make up my own sentences and try to say it in Greek, and I would show Mr. McGowan, and he would smile at me and tell me all the things that I did wrong. And, and uh, you know, but I, I loved it. And I remember there was a point in time when my mom confronted me about it. And I remember I was talking to her on the phone. I was talking about what I was doing. And she said, Bobby, I wouldn't normally say this to other people, but I'm going to say it to you. You need to stop studying. and You need to start ministering. Now, we here at BCM are all about mastering things, right? We're all about excelling. We're all about being all that God wants us to be. But here's the thing, a spirit led, spirit-fed individual isn't primarily concerned with his grade. He's primarily concerned with loving others and doing what's best for others. The Holy Spirit may lead you. And again, his voice is still. His voice sometimes is quiet, but he may lead you to academically bear the burdens of others. It'd be so easy for folks to say, well, if they end up on AI long enough, they'll have to pay for a tutor. Let the tutor handle it. Okay, what if God tells you to handle it without the tutor fee? What if God speaks to you and says, I want you to come alongside that person and I want you to help bear their burden academically as well? You say, but that will cost me study time. Love isn't concerned about you and your grade. The love of God in your heart will be primarily concerned with the good of others. Um, there is a, uh, there's a little phrase that I skipped over in verse number one, and that, kind of, that phrase kind of uh, ties into the next couple of verses here. 
Um, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at verse 3. It says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. And here we find somewhat of a warning here in both cases, whether you, as you're walking in the Spirit, begin to notice issues in other people's lives and the Spirit leads you to come and either restore those individuals or the Spirit leads you to help bear your burdens, it'd be real easy to get a false opinion about yourself. And it'd be real easy for you to begin to think you're the answer for everyone's problems. And it'd be real easy to get a spiritual sense of pride and an attitude of the BMOC, okay? Being the big man or the BWOC, the big woman on campus, okay? And I believe one of the, one of the things that this, this, um, these verses, one of, the, one of the pictures these verses are painting is it's not just that a person who's walking in the Spirit is sacrificing for other people, but this person who's walking in the Spirit also has a proper estimation of themselves. They also are, are thinking about themselves. They're assessing themselves biblically. See, here's the thing. If we come into a, a restoration situation where we see somebody who's struggling and we just come into it like, I've got all the answers and I'm going to tell you what you need to do and I don't struggle with this anymore, but you struggle with this and so I'm going to fix you. That is not the fruit of the Spirit, friends. Furthermore, if you come into a burden-bearing situation and you think, well, I've got Greek figured out. <clears throat> so let me for a few moments condescend to you who obviously didn't pay attention in first year Greek. <clears throat> I did. <laughs> and uh, let me just come to you and let me show you how it's done. <laughs> I think we recognize that isn't the fruit of the Spirit either. That's the flesh. And that kind of an attitude proves that you're not listening to the Spirit. You're not yielding to the Spirit. You're not keeping in step with the Spirit. In those circumstances, there's a certain sense in which you're actually using those other people to make yourself feel better about you. You can say, in a certain sense, you are using them to glorify yourself. And, and let me just say, that does not fulfill God's intentions for your life. And, and yet I recognize that it can be a real struggle. I remember what it was like. Listen, I, you want to talk dual streams here for a second? How many of you know what I mean when I say the word dual streams? Okay, only a couple people in the back. I want to teach you this term. Dual streams is a very important concept to understand, and that is sometimes you will see people and in one sermon, God's hand is on their life, and you know that's God. Oh boy, that's God. God's all over them. It could be one student, maybe in fellowship chapel, student body chapel. They stand up and they preach, or maybe in a prayer meeting or something like that, or even in a personal interaction, maybe one day you see them, and oh, the, you, you can just practically taste the fruit of the Spirit, okay? These folks, they're on. And then during another day, or even during the same time, maybe right after the sermon, you see them do something selfish. And you see them do something that is like, you're looking at that and you think, 
That's not God, and yet God's hand was just on them like 20 minutes before. What's up with that? It's like this. When you're listening, when you're yielding, when you're depending, guess what? The Spirit is flowing. The fruit is being, is bearing, okay? Um, but the moment you slip back into me and a self-focus and ignoring the Holy Spirit or depending on yourself, at that moment in time, you're exhibiting the works of the flesh. So here's the thing. Sometimes you can see a powerful preacher, a powerful man of God, and God is using them, and yet at other points in their lives, you see stuff and you think, that just seems fleshly. How do you understand that? And the best way to understand that is the concept of dual streams. In other words, an individual at the same point in time can be having God clearly flowing through them. And yet where they're not yielding, where they're not listening, where they're not depending, that's flesh. And so I say all of that to say that there are times when, when I was in college where I know God's hand was on me. I'm thinking of a young lady uh, who's from Maguanago. She came to BCM, had a ton of hidden sin in her life. Uh, this young lady came in like three years, at, two or three years after me, and she had all kinds of junk. She came in with an attitude, a chip on her shoulders. And the way I viewed fellowships, not the way some of you all view your fellowships, but I viewed fellowships as one year-long revival meeting. And my goal was I didn't want to see a single student left behind. I wanted to see every single student in my fellowship right with God. I wanted to see every single student in my fellowship walking in the Spirit. I wanted to see every single student in my fellowship um, demonstrating and living the Spirit-filled life. And I was going to preach for it. There was one day in Fellowship Chapel, I knew God gave me a sermon. I knew that we were going after it. Uh, and I knew God was going to do something. I preached some kind of revival, get right with God's sermon. And she, she got right. She unloaded the truck. And in Testimony Chapel, she said, it's because Bobby preached that sermon in Fellowship Chapel that God worked in my heart. And she's married to a man in the ministry on fire for God to this day. Well, you know what? That wasn't me. That was God. But you know what? During some of the same times in college, in the dormitory, I was a selfish brat, an only child. The whole perception of my life was that it was all about me. I had learned how to access God's hand in the pulpit. But frankly, <laughs> I was not walking in the spirit in my dormitory. And they were dual streams. Dual streams are dangerous because they can... They can cause people to dismiss what's really God because of what's really me. And so why do I say all that? Because here in this passage, we find the possibility of dual streams. You can have somebody who's genuinely learning and understanding what it means to walk in the Spirit, and they're helping other people. And this person is learning how to be sensitive and care about the burdens that are on the shoulders of other people all around him. And at the same time, there is this temptation and possibility that even though God's using them, they can think, well, God's really using me. I must have something to offer. I think people really think I'm spiritual around here. Boy, wow. It's great to be the most spiritual person on campus. The problem with that is, number one, <laughs> it says right here, a man think of himself to be something. Verse three, when he's nothing, you ain't what you think you are. 
but number two, he deceiveth himself, <laughs> um, you're getting off track. Uh, you are leading yourself astray. And according to verse number one, if we aren't doing this burden-bearing ministry with meekness, which, what does meekness remind you of in some of the verses prior to this? Isn't that one of the fruits of the Spirit? See, if you're not filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, your ministry of restoring brothers or bearing burdens is going to result in spiritual pride. And that is an unbiblical assessment of oneself. Um, verse number four, it seems a little confusing at first, but when you understand how it fits in the context, it makes all the sense in the world. It actually is strongly tied, I believe, to verse three. Verse four says, but let every man prove his own work. Um, and again, at first glance, that seems totally disconnected. It seems almost random. It's almost like, what does that have to do with anything? But when you understand that the word prove is the word for to test something, to try something, to take a test and pass the test. And what he's saying here is, okay, here's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit. Here's what it looks like. Uh, you're restoring brothers. You're bearing burdens, not with a higher estimation of yourself, but properly understanding who you are. And if you think you're really making it, and if you think your life in ministry is really making an impact, Watch out. You need to daily, moment by moment, take a test. You say, what's the test? Well, it ain't the Luo test. What is the test? And it doesn't explicitly state what the test is. He just says you're supposed to prove your own work. Um, the, again, the word prove having the idea of test. What's the test? I, I really spent some time, as I was uh, meditating on this uh, sometime last week, I really spent some time grappling with that question. What is the test that we're supposed to measure up to? How are we to assess whether we're really walking in the Spirit or not? How are we supposed to assess our own lives? Is it our demerit count? Well, yeah, because if you walk in the Spirit, there's no law that's going to condemn you, but that's besides the point. Is it because we're popular? No. Is it because we're getting good grades? Is that how we test ourselves, according to this verse? No. Is it because we're effective? That is definitely not the test, actually, when we'll look at the last half of this verse. What is the test that we're to measure ourselves by? And as I was meditating, thinking about this, just based on a couple of words that were given, the, the word spiritual, he who's spiritual, the spirit of meekness, uh, fulfilling the law of Christ in verse 2, I think the test that he's talking about is the only test that truly fulfills the law and God's intention, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. I think what he's saying here is this. You think you're, you're something special? You think you're walking with God? Revisit the fruit of the Spirit. Go back. Ask yourself the question, are the, is this fruit being born in my life? Because I'll guarantee you that if you think you're doing well, and if you think that you're really making a difference, and if you really think that you're God's gift to this college or this church or your family or your class, here's how you can really assess your life biblically is by going back to that list. And asking yourself the question, 
Is God's love happening in my life? Is God's joy happening in my life? Am I full of God's peace or am I anxious all day long? And et cetera and so on, going down the list. Look at the next part of the verse here. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Again, that phrase seems a little bit strange, a little bit ambiguous. What's that talking about? Well, he's saying here, listen, if you think you're something, you need to take the test. And if you take the test, comparing your life to the fruit of the Spirit, if the Spirit is bearing his fruit in your life, then you can have a self-contained joy that is not dependent on anything other than you in your walk with the Spirit. He says, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What's that talking about? And when it says, and not in another, he's saying, you are not finding your rejoicing. You're not finding your sense of well-being because of how you compare to someone else, but because of how you compare to God's test. Okay, let, let, me, let me try to illustrate. So it'd be real easy, especially for those of you that are academically sound, or those of you, maybe you grew up in a real solid and stable home environment, it'd be real easy for you to test yourselves horizontally. It'd be easy for you to look around in your class and to say, you know what, I'm the only person that's got it all together here. I must be doing pretty well. Yeah. Okay, and that, this little yeah is the idea of the word rejoicing. Yeah. Don't say, yeah, because you're doing better than someone else. Don't rejoice because you see yourself as being more loving than people around you. More loving. Don't rejoice because you seem to be more joyful than other people. You need to compare yourselves not to those around you, this way. Look at the list. Listen, it's like this. We can be so competitive and so comparative. And I'm going to quote the verse to you about, you know, being unwise because of how you compare yourself. But the fact of the matter is, how do you know if you're growing? How do you know if you're walking in the spirit because he's bearing his fruit in your life? And if he's bearing his fruit in your life, it doesn't matter if people around you are getting better grades or they seem like they're doing better than you or worse than you. What matters is you are secure in your relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. He says here in verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. Um, th th this is, almost seems contradictory of what happened earlier in the passage, doesn't it? Right? Because earlier it says that you're supposed to bear one another's burdens. In other words, as you're walking in the Spirit, listening, yielding, obeying, and dependence upon God, you begin to notice, you begin to see the burdens of others. Burdens that require help. Burdens that they can't bear by themselves. And sometimes God requires us and calls us and leads us to come alongside somebody, take part of the burden off of their shoulders and put it on yours and go forward together. 
But I believe what he's saying here is that not all burdens are like that. In fact, the word for burden here is different than the word for burden back in verse 2. The word for burden in verse 2 has the idea of something that's oppressively heavy. This is something that you, plain, you just plain can't handle on your own. But the word for burden in a verse number 5 is a personal size burden. It's a backpack. And let me say this. I believe the point that he's making here is, listen, as you compare yourself not to other people but to God, as you begin to assess your own walk with God biblically, you need to recognize that even though there are some burdens that other people can share with you, there are some burdens that are yours to bear alone. And asking the question, wake up everybody, ask the question here, what's that burden that we're supposed to bear alone? It's a good question, right? I believe that the burden that we are to bear alone has been, again, trying to trace the argument here and just try to figure out what he's communicating here. What is the only thing that no one else can do for you? walk in the Spirit. Listen, some of you've got some family situations happening and there are folks that can get together with you. There are folks that God should lead to pray with you, to talk it through, to let you cry on their shoulder, right? But no friend can walk in the Spirit for you. See, so we're looking at the picture of what it looks like when somebody is walking in the Spirit and I believe one of the things that is absolutely important and essential is you've got to take responsibility. Take personal responsibility. You know, as we go throughout our lives and days, especially when you're on the early end of being at BCM, you're used to receiving, right? You're used to having mentors. You're used to, you know, meeting with the dean's office and, and them checking on you. And, you know, we're talking about discipleship. And listen, you need a disciple. But the fact of the matter is no disciple can bear your own or discipler can bear your burden to personally listen, yield, and obey the Holy Spirit. You have to take personal responsibility. Listen, just like you can't co-carry a backpack, <laughs> this is a burden that only you can take upon your shoulders. The burden is to listen, to yield, and to depend. Um, as we get down to verse number six, and this one's, frankly, it's just a little bit awkward. He says here, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Does that mean you should send funny memes to your teachers throughout the week. Uh, no, that is not what that's talking about. The word communicate is the idea of share, and really the primary meaning of this in the context is to share financially, um, to share the good things that God has blessed in your life. Um, but the, the way that I want to apply this here today, what does it look like to be somebody who's walking in the Spirit, who's bearing the fruit of God's love in their lives? They're generous. They're generous with others. Isn't it easy to be stingy, especially when things get tight? Isn't it easy to get stingy when things get difficult? When there's that big translation assignment that's due on Monday, right? Isn't it easy to tighten your fists, 
to button up your back pocket so you don't pull that wallet out, and I'm using wallet metaphorically here, isn't it real easy to withhold what generosity would in fact give? Again, I, my primary burden here is not financial whatsoever. My primary burden is amongst the student body. Are you being generous with one another? Are you letting God use you to be a blessing to other people? And you can kind of see some of the overlap of some of these commands, can't you? Uh, let, let me just give you each of the points here real quick. Uh, what does love look like? Love restores brethren. Love bears burdens. Love measures biblically. Love takes responsibility and love gives generously. You know, I just want to say this here. I was going to say more on these next couple verses, but if you just look at verse 7, uh, 7 down through 10, I think this will kind of tie everything together. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Don't turn up your nose at God's provision, I think is the idea of what he's saying there. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You make decisions of selfishness and fleshliness, decisions to ignore the Holy Spirit of God and do what you want to do, indulge your flesh or just plain ignore the Holy Spirit, you'll reap corruption. You might get good grades, but they'll be rotten good grades. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, the fact of the matter is the records of your grade will only last for a while, but what God does when you walk in the Spirit will last forever. Verse, verse number 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What's he talking about? Verse 10 makes it clear, as we have therefore opportunity. He's not just saying as you have gaps in your schedule. He's saying the opportunity is now. Take advantage of it. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Christians are supposed to be exemplified. They're supposed to be um, loving individuals. Love is what fulfills God's intentions for your life. Love bears burdens, restores brethren. Love assesses oneself biblically, takes responsibility for one's own walk with God and gives generously. And it may not seem like that's making a difference for a period of time. And you may never see the difference that it makes, even during this lifetime. But remember the promise right here. You'll reap. You'll reap. You will never know the full extent of what God does through your life when you walk in the Spirit. But you will reap. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you just for the opportunity to speak here this morning. I've just done my best to simply explain and organize the text here this morning. I've tried not to necessarily give all the glimmer and shininess of a homiletical presentation, but I do pray that you would continue to teach us not just how to walk in the Spirit, but I pray, God, that you would teach us how to continue walking in the Spirit. Teach us what it looks like, what it feels like to walk in the Spirit, and would you encourage us, even when it begins to wear on us, that we'll reap if we faint not. 
Lord, thank you for the scripture and how it's spoken to my heart and my life these last couple days. Would you please help me and each young person here in this room uh, to continue to listen and to yield and to depend in obedience upon your spirit's voice. Help us have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that makes a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.